So Lord, I pray that this song would be the prayer on our heart. That we would speak, sing, proclaim that holy are you, God. Holy is your name. That is to say your character, your person. You are other than, you are set apart, you're holy. And so, Lord, we come in here with a variety of issues and circumstances, tensions, stresses, depressions, illnesses, relational issues, things we understand and things we don't. Lord, we come at you with a very mixed bag. And we come to you, some of us for the first time, saying, are you there? Do you hear? Do you care? And others of us, seasoned veterans, asking, are you there? Do you care? And so, Lord, whether we're here for the first day or we've been walking with you for decades, would you meet us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to see you as bigger and more beautiful than the worst and darkest problem that we have? Would you help us, oh God, to have a heart that's open to your direction and your spirit's leading? Lord, I ask that you would direct and lead and guide and help that we might see you as wonderful and lovely. Lord, we also pray that you would be glorified in this service, your name would be famed, and that we would think of no one else to worship other than you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Grateful that you're here. Really grateful that you're here. Um, if I was going to title today's message with a different title, I would have titled it, the whore and her husband. Today we're going to speak about a very unique scripture, a unique circumstances in the word of God that are really sometimes disturbing and really uncomfortable. If you're here for the first time, if you're just kicking the Christian tires, and I know there's a few of you here who are not sure about this Christianity thing. Listen to me. You could not have picked a better Sunday to come. If you've been in the Lord for decades and have been walking faithfully with God for a long time, you could not have picked a better Sunday. But there's going to be points and there's going to be tensions. There's going to be uncomfortable spots in this text the Bible doesn't give it to us like we like. The Bible give it to, gives it to us the way it is. So let me give you a little bit of background to give you a little context, and then we'll get right into it. We're in a new series. It's called God, because we're creative like that here. And um, so the new series is called God. And what we're saying in this entire series, and this is all I want you to get in this entire series, what we're saying is that you and I, we look at God through our cultural lenses, we look at God through the lenses of our need. We look at God through the lenses of what we've been taught. And perhaps God is bigger, more awesome, more wonderful, more scary, 
more out of the box than we possibly could ever have imagined. And so we said, we're going to look at God in four aspects. We're going to look at him as father, friend, lover, and king. Two weeks ago, we, the three weeks ago was the introduction. I, you, know, you can go online and get that. Two weeks ago, we uh, looked at God as father. And we said this, that God is not, God is not a bigger version than your earthly father. He's a perfect version of your earthly father. The reason when we look at God as a father and it doesn't ring the right bells in our soul is because we think of our actual father. And he wasn't perfect and he broke a promise and he was not easily pleased or wherever your dysfunction was in your home. And you go, well, God is a bigger version of that. I don't know if I want any part of that. And what we're saying is God is not a bigger version than your earthly father. God is a perfect version of your earthly father. Another way we said it was that God, listen, he's your father, but he's not your old man. And so that was week two. Week three, we looked at God as our friend and we said, listen, that God wants us to pursue him, not, God wants us to pursue him for friendship, not just his fortune. How easy it is for the Christian culture to pursue God for what he can give rather than who he is. Let me tell you something. God is his own happy ending. God is his own reward. God is worth pursuing all by himself. Not pursuing God so I can get the guy or pursuing God so I can get the girl or pursuing God so I could get the job, or pursuing God so I could keep the relationship, but pursuing God because he's lovely to pursue. He's a friend closer than a brother. This week, we're going to look at God as lover. Now, I know that that is an unbelievably uncomfortable thing to say for some of you. For some of you, to say that God is our lover is to say too much. It's almost blasphemous. But I want you to hang in there because God gives himself that portrait in the text all over the place, over and over and over. God sets himself up as a lover to his people. And many times his people are running from him, away from him, away from him. So we're going to look at an, a very controversial text, and you're going to have a lot of questions that I'm not going to be able to answer in this very short period of time. This is going to bring up questions that I won't be able to answer. Would you just say, tell your neighbor, he's not going to answer everything. I'm glad you said that, because that's a fact. There are complexities in this text that you and I are not going to be able to answer in the short period of time that we have here. However... However, the big idea I think we can grasp, God makes it painfully plain. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hosea, the book of Hosea. You go, where's Hosea? <laughs> I know. Hosea is going to, listen, you're going to see Hosea in heaven. He's going to say, so how'd you like my book? And you're going to go like, I don't know. I didn't read it. Um, yeah, Hosea is a minor prophet. If you're in the Psalms, keep on turning to the, to the right and uh, you'll, you'll get there. Um, Hosea is a prophet, and I'll give you a little bit more context, but we're going to read just the first two verses. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read that together, but as is our tradition, we're going to stand at the reading of God's word, not because we're religious, but because we are 
in love with God and we think that when his word speaks, it's, it's other than, it's wonderful. And so that's why we stand. Now, on account of three, I want us all to read verses one and two together. Now, we're also going to look at chapter three, but you'll, you'll be seated for that and don't worry about having to stand up. On account of three, one, two, three. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, king of Israel, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. This is God's word. Did I tell you it was going to be, uh, there's going to be some stuff coming up, right? Like, a, like, what? This is not what I was expecting. I did not come to church thinking that I was going to find the word promiscuous anywhere. And you're here. Let's look, at chapter, let's look at chapter one. This is the setting of the scene, and it's absolutely breathtaking. I'm telling you, there's not going to be one person who's sleeping today, right? If you're used to sleeping in my sermons, this won't be it, right? This is unbelievably, this is like, this is like novella, right, caliber. This is awesome, right? When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, go. Marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. Stop. The first verse of chapter one sets up the, uh, the, the context. It sets up the date and the time that Hosea is told this. He's told that such and such kings were ruling. And what was happening is that God wants to remind us that during this time, his people, God's people, were running from him. They weren't running to him. They were running from him. They were keeping their distance. They were looking and worshiping other gods. That is to say that they were looking to someone else, some other god, for their satisfaction, pleasure, security, protection. They were going to other gods to pursue that rather than the true god of the universe. Then, in that context, God puts his finger on Hosea and he says, you see that pretty girl over there? Oh, yeah, I see the pretty girl over there. Yeah, I want you to marry her. <laughs> Score. By the way, she's going to be promiscuous. Now, here's the deal. You got to understand this concept of God. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything about you. Now, isn't it true? Haven't you had, like, boyfriends or girlfriends that your friends came up to you and says, that dude is a loser. Please don't go out with him, Right? And then you're like, no, he's wonderful, but I love him. And you do that whole thing. And then only to find out seven years later and like, you know, your 20s have passed. Right. And you go, oh, my gosh, he was a loser. Right, 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 right. Yeah. God does that, too. <laughs> and, and, and he did it with the girl. And he said, go, go marry her. Suspend why would God ask that for a minute? Because I'm going to get to it eventually. But just suspend your emotion behind that thought. What is God trying to do? 
asking Hosea to marry a woman who's a whore, who's going to be promiscuous, who's going to... They have three children together. It's so bad. Her promiscuity is so bad. He literally names the second child not mine. He literally names him that. Gives him the Hebrew name, not mine. Now, I don't know how that falls on you, but there's nothing more painful than scorned love. There's no close second. In life, the greatest pain you can have is to have a passionate, powerful, unbreaking, unyielding, pursuing love only to have it rejected. I know I'm only speaking to one or two of you here, right? But, but you know if you've ever loved someone who has spurned or scorned your love, you know how painful that could be. And God says, Jose, I want you to love her. She ain't going to love you, but I want you to love her. Now, we don't have time to read all three chapters, but eventually Gomer, how do you like that? Right? Marry a girl named Gomer, and she's a whore, right? And so, like, you know, <laughs> that's a rough one. That's a rough one. So, Gomer eventually comes up to him and says this. Gomer says, here's the thing. You don't satisfy me. But I have lovers that do. And they give me gifts. They satisfy me. Let's sit with that for a second. Because this is an impossible pain. The problem is, is that he didn't get into this pain by being disobedient to God. He got into this pain by being very obedient to God. Now, there are all sorts of questions about that that we're going to put on the shelf for now. But Hosea is abandoned by the woman who was promiscuous. His heart is breaking. There's actually one point where he has such rage against this woman, understandably so, right? Does anybody blame Hosea for, for being upset that his wife left him and, and has cheated on him and all that? There's one point where Hosea literally prays that her breasts shrivel up. That, like, you, you should read your Bible. Um, <laughs> there's some risque stuff in there. Her breasts shrivel up, that she become uh, ugly to other men, that he's just furious. Then we skip to chapter 3. God is going to speak to Hosea again, and it's breathtaking. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me. Now, the, Hosea is writing this down. Who's the me here? It's Hosea. The Lord said to me, go. Look up at me. This is the same go that he shared with him in chapter 1. Go. Show your love to your wife again. Stop. What on earth are you talking? Did, I, did you not hear what was going on? Gomer had told Hosea, you don't satisfy me. I have other men that satisfy me, other men that give me gifts, other men that, 
that fulfill desires in me that you cannot possibly fulfill. I am leaving you. She finds herself in their household being used by them and all the things that go along with that. And God says, show love to your wife again. I need all the men to read the next part of this sentence with me so you could feel how powerful this is. Okay, just the men. Just read this. And we'll start with though. Okay? One, two, three. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. I was reading this. The first time I read the book of Hosea was sometime in the 90s. It was the first time I was ever reading the Bible through. And I was having tension in my marriage. Have you ever had tension in your relationships? Right? Maybe two of you? Okay, right. Okay, right. Well, for the two of you, for the other of you who have perfect relationships, we were having real tension. I'm talking about the kind of tension that I couldn't sleep at night. Like, real, you ever have those, you know, knockdown, drag out, like horrible tension, and it's not for a week or a month, it's for like a year or two or more, right? Well, we were having a season during that time. And I was reading Hosea. <laughs> I just so happened to fall on Hosea. And I'm like, it's at night because I can't sleep, right? And I'm like, oh, strike her down. Strike her down. Woo, put her on fire. Like I was like, I was reading it. I was feeling for Hosea. I was totally feeling for Hosea. And you know how like there's certain portions in the Bible where you go, wow, God was too harsh. Like he started, I was like, no, you cannot be too harsh in this situation. If you blew her up, resurrected her and blew her up again, this would be all right with me. She deserves it. And God says this, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. You know why? You know why? Because when you love someone and they scorn you like that, it is the greatest kind of rejection. It is the most painful kind of rebellion. It is the most severe type of pain. There's nothing like it. I want you to know, listen to me, because there's going to be, listen, God is trying to tell us something. And it's a painful truth. And I want you to hear it. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have experienced, and don't raise your hand, but some of you have experienced adultery in the relationships that you're in. And some of you have been thinking either about your own sin and you feel hurt by your own sin because it was exposed or whatever happened, or... It had, you had it happen to you. And you've been reliving the pain as I've been discussing this. Because it's a very real trauma. God says this. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love their sacred raisin cakes. Think about this. God says, I want you to do with her what I've been doing with my people for centuries. It's here where God gives the punchline. If you were offended by Gomer, if you were hurt 
by her actions. If you were reliving the pain and the, re and the regret and the rebellion that you had from a person that you loved, God turns the tables. And as, you, as your emotions rise, as your pain grows, as you start going, that's right, they did it to me, they should be punished. God flips it and says, you're the whore. I want, see, I'm not asking you, Hosea, to do anything that I haven't done with my people. Because we think that when we sin against God, we are breaking God's rules. And what we don't understand is that when we sin against God, when we sin against God, we are breaking his heart. There's a romantic relationship between God, he's, between God and his people. He's our lover. And he's a lover with rose-colored glasses who doesn't know how to stop pursuing the one he loves. He tells Hosea to do nothing different than what he's been doing in your life up to this present moment. Could you imagine the conversations Hosea would have after God told him this? Go show love to your wife, who's a whore, by the way. She hasn't left the town. You should know this. She hasn't left their town. She just left his house. God, God says, I've loved you. And you've been to me like a whore. So let's hear what Hosea did. Verse 2. So... I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, this is, okay, there's a couple of things you should know here. Number one, at this point, if he bought her, that means she's on a slave block. Now, again, lots of questions. Hey, slavery, the Bible's not condoning or uh, approving of slavery. It's just telling you what happened in that time, in that culture, that's what happened. They, were ha they had slaves, and they were up on an auction block. The Bible is not saying it's good or bad or pro or con uh, to it. It's just reporting the events. So just, let's just put that on the side. She's a slave woman. That means that she must have fallen out of favor with her lovers. She must have been all used up. She must have had no more value to those owners. She must have put herself in a situation where nobody else wanted her. In, in New York, we would say, now that woman has some city miles on her. She'd been with as many men as you can imagine. Her face shows it. The years have not been kind. She's on the auction block. Hosea comes and you could not even imagine the indignity of this. They would put her on the auction block. They would strip her of her clothing so that everybody could see what they were buying. Does she have any scars? Is she, so it's, it's as undignified as you can possibly imagine. In my mind's eye, I imagine her closing her eyes as the only shield she has to this great indignity. It's the lowest moment of her life. I wonder if in her mind she wasn't thinking, man, I wish I hadn't did that with Hosea. 
He was a good guy. He was a prophet. He loved God. I wish I hadn't gone that direction. I wish I hadn't done that thing. I wish I hadn't told him those words. I wish, I don't know what was going through her mind, but I know that she was overwhelmed with shame, with people poking her and pushing her and, and seeing if everything was okay with her. Could you imagine? And then the auction goes up. Who, who, who will give me one silver coin for her? And someone says, I'll give you 50 cents. Dads, come on now. Who's serious, serious, serious? And no one speaks. Who? Come on, one shekel. One shekel. And everybody looks at her and they see she's been used up. I'll give you 50 cents, she hears again. And tears start welling up in the inside of her eyelids, but she's determined not to let them fall. And, he goes, and you could hear the, the man who's putting, up her, putting her up on the auction block saying, come on, she's still young. She can still bear children. You can even have her work in the fields. Surely you'll give one shekel. I'll give you 50 cents, she hears again. And nobody else offering even 75 cents to counter. And after a long silence, they realize they're not going to recuperate their money. And they do what all people do in situations like that. They say, going once, going twice. And then a voice cries out within the crowd and says, I'll give you 15 shekels and a, and a homer of a lethic of barley. This is a crazy price. This is a price that no one would pay for a family, let alone a slave that's been all used up. But she recognizes the voice. She opens her eyes and they're still wet with water. She wipes them. Oh my goodness, it's been a while, but she remembers his voice. It's Hosea. What do you think in moments like that? Oh my. Is he going to abuse me? Is he going to? Because he could do anything he wants with me. I'm his slave. I'm his property now. He could kill me if he wants. That's what would be running through my head if I was on that auction block. Hosea turns to us. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, look up at me. What do you think his speech is going to be? I mean, I imagine if it was my speech to write, I would go, you whore, you unfaithful woman, you ungrateful lady. I mean, I, I can imagine how thick I would pour that on. You don't deserve somebody like me. You know what? I don't even want to look at you. Just go onto the field and thank your lucky stars that you married a religious person. That's maybe what I would do. He does something totally different. Because remember, Hosea is not just for Hosea at this point. Hosea represents somebody. Anybody know who Hosea represents? God. Anybody know who Gomer represents? 
the person sitting in your seat. Yeah. And so this is a picture of what God is like to grimy, dirty, undeserving people. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. Now, you and I don't get the depth of the beauty of that speech. It's a short speech, but it's a powerful one. Listen, what he's doing at that moment is he's literally saying, I don't want you to be with any other man. In other words, I don't want you to have sex with anyone else. But and then he adds, even I'm not going to have sex with you. You see, we in our minds could think, oh, I get it. She was really good in bed and she was really pretty. And that's why he got her, because he was like, all right, well, but she was really nice. And, you know, maybe I can get her back. I'll pay for her and all that other stuff. He goes, no, 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 I'll gain nothing from you. I want you to heal. You've been out there prostituting yourself. You've been out there being with other men, hurting yourself. I'm going to give you time to heal. I'm going to give you a minute to breathe. Even I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm only here to give you and love you and serve you. This, this is a picture of the heart of God. The God who would meet the sinner, you and me, the person wearing our shirt. Listen to me. He would meet us. Not with lightning bolts coming out of his eyes, but tears. Not with a, a vengeance in his hand, but shekels to buy us back. That he would tell us, I don't want you to be used by other people, and I'm not going to use you. I'm going to love you. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is the God you and I have always dreamed of, but never for a second dared to believe he was. This is the God who will love beyond your actions. See, what happens is the reason it's difficult to receive this is, is because you and I think, I'll just get cleaned up. I'll just get better. I'll just, I'll just change. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll act differently. I'll get my act together. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and say, hey, why don't you come to church? We listen to God's word. We sing to God. It's a great time together. Why don't you come? Because if I walked into your church, Edwin, the ceiling would fall on me. I say, you've never been to our church then. You've never been to our church. If, listen, if, if the ceiling would have, it have fell when I walked in the room. If it was going to fall. And I tell you this regularly. I'm the greatest sinner here. I'm the biggest whore. And he loved me. And he loved me. And he loved me again. That's the Christian story. It's not religion. It's not you trying to get your life in a way so that God could approve of you. So that you could have his love. God gives you his love says, do with it what you will. But you don't understand. I've sinned in this way. Yet God knows, and he's pursuing you like a crazy, mad, undeterred lover who will not be stopped. See, because Hosea is a picture of another man who came a distance 
and paid a very high price for those that he loved. But his wasn't with shekels and homers and barleys. His was with his blood. Jesus came and pursued his bride whom he loved. And he said, I love you too much. I can't leave you in your sin. I will go and I will pay. And you and I weren't worth 50 cents. But he didn't buy us according to what we were worth. He, buy, he bought us according to his love. And so it was a very high price. In other religions, if you're going to be, if you're going to, if you're going to say, hey, are you a good, um, are you a good whatever, Muslim? You would say, well, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I am if I'm practicing the five uh, pillars of Islam. Okay, that's great. Or what about if you're Jewish? Well, what does it take to be a Jewish person? Well, if you're a guy, um, let's skip over the first one and then talk about the Ten Commandments, right? And so... Uh, well, you'd, you'd have to do this first thing. We'll talk about that later. And, um, and then you'd have to obey the Ten Commandments. You see, you got to be good enough to be with God, and Christianity is absolutely against that. Christianity says you'll never be good enough. You're a whore. I will love you even in your whoredom. I will love you even while you're on the auction block. I'm not going to wait till you get cleaned up. I'm going to wash you in my own blood. I'll buy you at a high price. I will love you deeply. Do you believe that? Because God, listen to me. Here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. God loves you right where you're at and not where you think you should be. If you were going to write anything down, I would write that down. Get a pen, pencil, and mascara, but write that down. Because you're going to need to be reminded at one point that God loves you right where you're at and not where you're supposed to be. And I know some of you religious people are here and you're saying, no, but that's, that can't be true. We got to, you know, get up and, and, and fly straight and do good and all that other stuff. And I, what I would say to you is that you're putting the cart before the horse. Doing good does not come anywhere near the equation. It, it, anywhere near the equation as the love of God does. See, listen to me. In other religions, you do good, you get God's love. In Christianity, you get God's love. And that changes you. It changes you. It transforms you from the inside. So that as you reflect on God's love, it changes you. Good news has ways of doing that. For the last, uh, well, let me illustrate it this way. I was figuring out how could I illustrate this concept that I'm trying to teach you, because I know you don't believe me. I know that you're thinking, yeah, yeah, but. I know you're thinking, yes, but if you knew. I know you're thinking, yes, but, you know, I better get, you know, I better get everything straight and everything right. And, I, and Pastor Edwin, I think you're saying too much. No, 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 listen, I'm saying it just the way it is in the Word. So I was thinking about how to illustrate this, and I was thinking, if I took this here flower, and I passed it around to each one of you. And each one of you did whatever you wanted with this flower. And you picked some of the petals. And you, you wanted to smell it. Or perhaps you wanted to just sort of take it apart and look at it. And as it passed from each one of you. And you gave it back to me. If every one of you had had your hand on this petal. See, the way you think of Christianity is 
We're the rose. We are, at one time, we were beautiful. But we gave ourselves away to others, and they used us. And then you get back up here, and you go, now who wants this? Right? Who wants this rose? Nobody wants this rose. It's destroyed. Its beauty has been marred. It's been used up and sucked up and, 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 and chewed up and spit out. Nobody wants the rose. And Christianity says, Jesus says, I want the rose. I want the rose. Not because it's beautiful, but because I'm beautiful, Jesus says. Not because it has value, but because I have value. Not because it's good, but because I'm good, Jesus says. Jesus says, I want the rose. Are you broken? Are you messed up? Have you fallen in sin after you came to Christ? He wants the rose. Have you been walking in Christ and then you, you fell away and you turned from him? He wants the rose. Have you been looking to him and trusted him for everything and just yesterday blew it big time? He is pursuing you. He wants you. I wish I could convince you to believe this. I wish I could convince you to believe that God loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness. That he loves you beyond fidelity or infidelity. That he loves you whether you have 10 years clean or you're 15 days into a 12-year run. He loves you. He loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain. He loves you. He loves you when your intellect denies it, when your emotions refuse it. He loves you when your whole being rejects it. God loves you, not where you wish you would be, but loves you right where you're at. When that, listen to me, when that dawns on you, that's when Christianity comes alive in your heart. When it dawns on you that there's absolutely nothing that you could do to earn God's love, but that he's given it to you freely and has offered it to you and that his love is what does the changing, not the changing gets the love. When you realize that, everything changes. You know what? You treat your spouse differently. You know what happens? Your spouse is fresh to you. They don't deserve your respect, but you know what? You love them because you've treated Jesus fresh and he's loved you. You, when you don't get the job or the promotion and you, you sit down and you go, I'm such a loser. You go, wait up, but Jesus bought me at a high price. My identity is found in Christ, not in the position that I hold at work. And you look at your bank account and you go, man, I'm just worthless. There's nothing in there. I feel worthless. I, I, I don't have any money. Wait, wait, wait. My worth doesn't come from my bank account statement. My worth comes from the price that's been paid for me. See, it's, it's Christ. Yesterday, I, I experienced something that I was like, man, I, I got to share with you because it's... So I've been wanting to go to college for like 20 years. I've been, right? And you go, what took you so long? It wasn't me. Um, I, I, I just, I've never... Some of you know my story. Some of you don't know my story. I made a lot, a lot of mistakes when I was real, real young. I never passed the seventh grade. And you're listening to me. Um, I never passed the seventh grade. Um, so I never graduated junior high, I never graduated high school. I just, you know, I was one of those dummies who, you know, did a bunch of stupid things. And so I've applied for a lot of colleges thinking that I have some life experiences that could be translated into a degree. And I was like, you know, surely I've been leading a community, uh, 501c3 and all this other stuff. And everybody has always rejected me. And yesterday, Dr. Stephen Smith of Southwestern, 
seminary that has the largest evangelical library in all the world. He came to my office to let me know that he's allowing me to go into his master's program. I'm going to college. Now, now watch this. That gets golf claps from you, right? Like, oh, isn't that special? 20 years. 20 years, every college you can imagine has denied me. Nobody wanted me. And he says, and he not only does that, he says, I'll scholarship you through it. And so it's going to be, so in two years, I'll have my master's degree. And uh, my wife said, are we going to have to call you Master Edwin? And I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe. I ran outside yesterday because I was parking my car and I parked it in the wrong spot and I knew it was the wrong spot, but I figured I could get away with it, but I saw a cop like 100 yards away. And so I ran into the building that I was in and I ran out and I said, oh gosh, I hope I don't have, and I didn't see the cop anywhere and I thought, oh no, he must have given me the ticket and then left already. And as I was walking to the car and I was like, oh man, I got the ticket, something hit me. Who cares, you're going to college. <laughs> it just struck me like that, I was like, I don't care. Give me a ticket. I'm going to college. I'm going to have a master's degree in two years. I don't care what ticket you give me. Come here. You've been accepted. He's given you the gift. You don't have to earn it. You go, but I never passed the seventh grade. Doesn't matter. But I'm not worthy. I know. That's why it's called a gift. You go, you go. So listen, so when you go to your car and you say, oh man, there's going to be a ticket there. Wait, 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 but I'm loved by Christ. When nobody else loves you, when your spouse, when the people at your job, when no one else, when everyone else has abandoned you, you go, wait up, but wait, wait. He loves me. He's with me. When everybody else has failed you, you can stop for a second and say, I have a lover who will never fail. God loves you right where you're at and not where you wish you could be. Believe that. Receive that. Take that in. If you blew it, God loves you. If you messed up, God loves you. And he loves you with a reckless love that will ignore, not ignore, pay for your debt in sin. Because sin is not breaking God's rules. Sin is breaking God's heart, and yet his heart still pursues because God loves you right where you're at and not where you're supposed to be. My prayer is that you would not only receive that, that it would rock your world, that when that finally dawns on you, that God loves you beyond your actions, beyond your ability to qualify yourself as a man or a woman, beyond your mistakes and your faults and your sin, when you finally let that shoe drop, everything will change. My question, listen, so this year, this week, just think about that sacrifice. Think about, I'm the whore, he's chasing me. Stay there. Think of that. Think of the love that that must take. 
and rejoice that he's your lover. He's your lover.